Standard Chartered, our favorite institution for hyperbolic price predictions on crypto assets, says that Ethereum is going to $4,000 by May. There's a good reason for this, actually. I think it could personally go higher, but I'm curious to hear what today's guest, James Butterfill, has to say about that. Also, to dig really deeply into what's happening with inflows and outflows to both the ETF and other crypto projects, and maybe to have two boomers try to figure out what the hell uh, Solana airdrop is. We might even talk about that since today is the Jupiter airdrop, the biggest day in the history of crypto that no person over the age of 40 has any idea about. We've also got Texas West Capital, of course, on the back end to share his thoughts on the market, charts, and trades. This will be another epic day, guys. Let's go. Let's go. What is up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit that like button on a bit of a shorter time frame today. Going to bring James on right now. Jupiter airdrop, man. It's got to be the main thing on your radar right now, right? I mean, the most important thing that's ever happened in the history of crypto, more important than Bitcoin spot ETFs or Larry Fink. It's the Jupiter airdrop on Solana. Why do people do airdrops? It's to kind of encourage people to use the network more. And I, I think... The issue I have with Solana is that there are lots of airdrops in Solana and, and, and then people sort of look at the usage statistics and trading volumes and think, oh, okay, Solana's being used a lot. But people tend to sort of dip in and out of Solana when these airdrops come along. Does it really mean fundamentally it's a great uh, crypto asset? I'm still skeptical. So that means that when we see DEX volumes are higher than Ethereum or volume and transactions are higher than Ethereum, that that might not be the entire story. Yeah, I think you have to look at the substance behind it. Um, and if it is just airdrops and people dipping in and out, is that really uh, like a sort of decent use of, of, of the network? I'm just slightly skeptical about that because they're, they're all just kind of temporary phenomenon, really. Yeah, I was looking at it this morning and I, I literally tweeted something to the effect of I want to start a show that's like Boomer yells at crypto or explain crypto to Boomer or Web3 for Boomers <laughs> or something so that I could just bring on people who actually understand this stuff and try to convince me it's real. I was on Spaces yesterday. I said, we hate helicopter money and money printing, but we certainly love a good airdrop in crypto. I was ex They explained to me that it was a transfer of value from the project to the audience, but I'm still a skeptic of the airdrops just like you are. Let's whatever. We don't need to talk about it any further. I had to mention it because it's the biggest story of the day. I still think that Ethereum is uh, fundamentally strong and trailing, and I'm not the only one, obviously, that the lead story here. Ethereum ETF approval expected in May. Standard Chartered predicts. Standard Chartered loves to make a big prediction. They're basically saying May 23rd is the last day that the agency can consider Ethereum spot ETF applications from VanEck and ARC21 shares, making it equi the equivalent to January 10th, basically, for the Bitcoin spot ETFs and take the roadmap of what Bitcoin did in the months leading up to a uh, rumored approval, Ethereum should do the same thing. I mean, what are your thoughts here? Uh, Standard Chartered also said that they, wasn't it like 100,000 inflows into Bitcoin this year? Um, if you extrapolate that, according to my model, that would put the Bitcoin price well over 500,000 and it would be 10 times the inflows we've seen in any other year, the best being 2021 at $10 billion. So 
I think it's not realistic, but I'm actually with them here on Ethereum. I I I now actually goes to kind of the point about airdrops and yield, for instance. You know how the cryptocurrencies ish, deliver yield; they print more of that cryptocurrency to give it to you. So theoretically, you're being uh, diluted. And the very interesting thing about Ethereum is it's it has the burn mechanism, and on a net issuance basis, actually. It's, its net issuance is negative. So it's a bit like a share buyback if you're an equity investor. And I think that's really compelling. And in fact, it is the only cryptocurrency that has a negative net issuance, as far as I'm aware, that's of meaningful size um, and at roughly a 4% yield. That's really quite attractive. It's like you're buying, you know, if you look at tech stock, when, when tech stocks tend to have, when they're in growth mode, they tend to have very low yield. And so this is a high growth stock, but also with a high yield, it's quite compelling in my view. And so, I, you know, I've not put out any price forecasts at 4,000 or anything like that, but I could see particularly coming up to the ETF launch how the price could rally further. And we got a taste for that when the Bitcoin ETF was launched. We saw actually Ethereum rally more than Bitcoin. That was surprising to me. And what I enjoyed was we got the preview of that happening the day before when we got the fake SEC tweet. Yeah. Literally the second that the fake SEC tweet came out, the Ethereum Bitcoin pair went absolutely parabolic temporarily. And then we saw the same thing happen again on the announcement. Does that mean that that's simply the traders in this community saying, oh, that narrative's done. Bitcoin spot ETFs are approved. Let's go on to the next narrative. <laughs> I mean, is it as simple as that? Yeah, perhaps a little bit. Um, I do think we should be a little bit cautious about May. I know everyone's estimating they're going to use guesstimating May the 10th, but don't forget September was the date for Bitcoin. And everyone felt that um, the Bitcoin ETF would be launched in, e in September and it wasn't. I think they have a 278 day consultation period, which suggests actually sometime in Q3 uh, they would approve it. And our, our sort of product uh, legal guy, CoinShares is is adamant that it's actually going to be then, and he's got a pretty good track record for that. So there may be a bit of a disappointment uh, amongst investors if we see the price really rally up till the May the tenth, and then it doesn't happen. That doesn't change the fundamental story for Ethereum. I just think it will lead to price volatility. Yeah, listen, I, I'm I feel like uh, maybe you're joining me, but I'm one of the last ETH bulls alive, and that makes me feel. From a price perspective, I agree all with all that fundamentally. I just think it's trailing, but that actually makes me feel very, very comfortable about my position. Yeah, in this market, well, I, in this market, I want to be uh, against the the massive crowd that's telling me how dead it is and it's never going to go up again. And there'll never be another Ethereum bull market. Yeah, I mean, Ethereum last year was very much the unloved asset from a fund flows perspective, only seeing around seventy million dollars of inflows, whereas Solana, I think, saw one hundred and seventy. So way more, despite it's much, much smaller in size. And this year so far, actually, um, Ethereum is ahead of Solana in terms of fund flows. So maybe investors are starting to change their viewpoint on some Ethereum. That's a perfect segue for me to talk about flows in general. Obviously, you put out a weekly report at CoinShares, uh, Digital Asset Fund Flows Weekly Report. Uh, this is from two days ago. U.S. 500 million outflows last week. Grayscale outflows are subsiding, though. So we've covered in depth the GBTC sell-off and the flows into and out of different ETF and products. But you're watching everything, right? You're not just watching yeah. these ETFs, which we keep reporting on. You're watching everything that existed before these ETFs, basically anything that institutions are invested in. 
any sort of fund in crypto. So what are we seeing in general? Is this massive flows out of everything into ETFs or is this net outflows? What, what do these numbers mean? Yeah, there was a, you know, there was people don't people thought that as soon as ETFs were launched that there would be loads of buying. And in fact, on a net basis, there are positive inflows in the United States of about $1.2 billion now. Just over the last couple of days, there were $790 million worth of inflows into Fidelity and iShares together combined um, versus only $400 million of outflows from uh, Grayscale. And actually what we're seeing is the outflows are slowly dwindling from Grayscale, whereas they seem to be accelerating a little bit in these the new issuers. So I think that's a really positive story, but everyone thought, okay, well, net issuance is positive. Why isn't there... Uh, why isn't it having a positive effect on the price? And for me, a lot of people buy were, were who seeded Bitcoin were buying Bitcoin prior to the event. So actually, what happened was just a change of cash on, on the ledger and nothing and nothing else. Um, so no actual Bitcoin buying, but a lot of grayscale selling. But more broadly across the world, particularly in Europe, we did see selling out as some investors shifted back to the United States. Some of those international U.S.-based investors. Uh, move their money back to the United States. So there were some minor outflows last week uh, in com combination with Grayscale. But this week in particular, it's um, there. The outflows in Europe have stopped and we're on a net $430 million inflow this week so far. That so eliminates the right. so it's only Wednesday and you've almost uh, X'd out the outflows from last week. I mean, I think rationally yeah. hindsight's 2020, but all of this makes sense. Right, that yeah. trade ended. People wound down the trade. Open interest on futures wound down. GBTC outflows. So it's just a matter of when that you know flow becomes a trickle and stops, and demand hasn't really shifted, and demand hasn't really waned. So uh, yeah, we know from track record that um, BlackRock have a track history, a track record of when they launch an ETF, they tend to see they don't sort of put all the seed in in one go they tend to drip feed that seed over the course of a month two weeks in so we could continue to see that seed drip feed in that might not necessarily have the impact we expect on price because it potentially is already bought um but i do think there's starting to be sort of more signs of organic growth organic demand now not just the seed into these new etfs yeah, you guys can see this is the article, uh, Bitcoin and Fidelity spot Bitcoin ETFs close in on Grayscale and daily trading volume. You alluded to this. Throughout the day ex yesterday, actually, all the ETF experts were tracking this and saying this was going to be the first day that there were higher inflows and that, G or that there would be higher volume on either BlackRock or Fidelity or combined than GBTC. And then the day ended up closing with GBTC slightly higher. But as you can, I mean, as you said, these are ships passing in the wind. But there were higher flows. That's the important yeah. thing. Um yeah, actually, I didn't realize that. So, so volume was higher on Grayscale, but flows were higher. You're saying on BlackRock and Fidelity. Yeah, I th I think the market's going to get bored of the ETF stuff soon. It is, um, and uh, I they're going to start talking about the halving more, and actually more about interest rates. So we've got obviously FOMC tonight. Um, no rate hike expected, but everyone's looking for indications on March rate cuts. Uh, I said rate hikes, I meant rate cuts. And and now the consensus is for a, a May rate cut. March is not happening. But there's a huge inverse correlation between the futures rate expectations, the implied rate for March, and Bitcoin prices. They're, they're some 90% correlated at the moment. And they weren't late last year because I think the ETF narrative was driving price, not interest rate expectations. 
And I think the markets are beginning to recouple uh, with interest rate expectations, which kind of makes sense. It's, it's an emerging store of value competing with treasuries, for instance. I don't think they're going to cut anytime soon, personally. I know that I'm I think on may. the... Uh, I think, I mean, that's what the uh, predictive markets say, but when have they been right? But yeah, maybe, I don't know. Seems like, well, uh, why would why would you cut if everything's so good? I don't well, know. perhaps they cut, they're admitting thinking. that something's broken. I think in 2021, they were talking about transitory inflation and I'm clearly wrong. And they acknowledged, well, I say they acknowledge that. They, they at least understand that implicitly, that they were wrong. And there is a belief among some economists that because they're so aware of being wrong when inflation was rising they're likely to be more proactive and cut earlier than people expected and that that could be march i'm not in that camp but i can sympathize with that view i think the fed has a track record of knee jerking on the way up are you waiting too late and then waiting too late on the way down with inflation right so so get ahead of it for optics great but we all know that after the uh pivot that's when the pain cometh (laughs) <laughs> historically so you know that's why i think they delay it till october november and then the market crashes two days after the election or something once the election's out of the way then they can uh you know pull a rug and and let it all fall through but yeah. maybe that's my uh pessimistic tinfoil hat american centric view on on the situation but i, I think in crypto in general you're right we're now going to be talking about macro a lot more again now that the etf trade is done I think maybe we'll rotate to Ethereum, but the, the big narrative inevitably now is going to be the halving, right? Yeah. Uh, and you have you have your mining report, the halving and its impact on hash rate and miners' cost structures. I think we all superficially understand at the core why the halving matters. It's really you know basic uh, supply and demand dynamics. But what does this mean for miners? Are they better prepared for it this time? They were not in the past. Uh, and, you know. This some mean? are and some aren't. So we actually spoke to all the different miners, all their senior management, and um, uh, they're taking different approaches. Some are saying, I'm loading up with new hardware now and in, in preparation for the price to rise, and I'm taking on greater debt as a consequence. And I think Marathon is a good example. It has the largest share of uh, mining production now. Um, and if the price really rises, it's it's because it's got such a dominant position, it could really benefit from that. And it also has a lot of Bitcoin holdings. Uh, others are being a bit more cautious. They're saying, look, I've got a cash pile. I'm going to wait until after the halving, see what happens, and then buy hardware then. Um, and there are others like Argo Blockchain and Stronghold, which have um, a 65,000 per Bitcoin average cost of production and a 55. So well above current prices. So it things are already hurting for them and that the halving is going to make things particularly grim for them. Um, I mean, historically, does the halving always wash out even some of the larger miners or is it, are we in a different situation now because we have so many publicly traded miners and so many large sort of conglomerates that we didn't have before? It depends how much runway they have. So how much cash or Bitcoin do they have sitting on the sidelines to just kind of cover over the loss um, until the price and they hope that the price rises. Um, so, you know, if the price doesn't rise after the halving, then, you know, Argo blockchain will have run out of runway by June. By and August. to have that runway, they have to sell, right? And we also saw pretty significant miner selling yeah. after the ETF, correct? If, if I'm not wrong. So, 
Is that in advance of the having? Are they were they taking advantage of that little sort of price move to the upside to get some runway and profit as you're kind of talking about to prepare for the having? Why why are miners selling now when it seems the narrative? Yeah, I mean there are there are I'd say about thirty percent if the price didn't move would have to start selling Bitcoin after the halving. The average cost of production I think is around thirty seven thousand. So for most it's it's okay. That's for the average cost of production for the miners. To break um, even. So for most, it's okay at current prices. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I just think what will happen is that hash pile will stay online. It will just be, you know, some of the, high, the higher end cost of production companies will just cease to exist and the hash pile will be immediately acquired by some of the others who have got a lot of cash sitting on the sidelines, like Marathon, like CleanSpark, like TerraWolf, like Scormint, which is smaller company yeah and people seem to forget that price doesn't just go up at the halving right usually it actually takes six or seven months we have a really boring choppy gross price action summer and then in the fall all of a sudden prices start to rise so is it is that a result of this sort of forced minor selling to survive after the halving before prices go up because you don't go straight uh, to an all-time high uh, in may right so they have to be prepared for it not to go up so we've got we've got three halvings in history to look at and to kind of if you just look on a very simple level yes prices rise quite a lot post halving or 6 months after halving which is then you could say well history tells me that that's going to happen again and i actually think um bitcoin markets are becoming much more mature now and start to price in events before they actually occur the halving's perfectly known informa- information. We know roughly on the 23rd of April or 22nd of April, the halving will occur. So why aren't they pricing that now? And if you actually take 2020 as an example, we had COVID uh, at that point, and then the US dumped a load of stimulus checks on people and they were buying Bitcoin in the US. What drove the price? Was it stimulus checks or of Bitcoin or was it the halving? And that's debatable. So I I would act with a little bit of caution on that. I think there's plenty of other fundamental price drivers to look at, like um, monetary policy, for instance, um, like the U.S. banking system weakness, U.S. debt, other things, Evergrande problems in China, for instance. Yeah. Those kind of things, I think, uh, more what we should be looking at for the Bitcoin price rises. I've seen some pretty compelling charts and ideas. Raul Paul uh, has been championing this, that we're just in a four-year liquidity cycle and the halving happens to line up. Yeah. Sort of I think there are, everything in the macro has the, there's a four year cycle in macro too that's much more powerful than the having, and that's what we're not noticing. Exactly. We had that liquidity cycle in 2020 as well. It's just kind of happenstance. It will get a huge amount of media attention, the, the halving. Um, I hope. Uh, well. and, we'll see. Uh, you know, we wrote the mining report. Sorry. That might be bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we wrote the mining report because so many people were saying what is going to happen to miners, and hopefully, uh, on our blog, blog.coinshares.com, you can see that can help you get a better idea of what could happen. Yeah, I love I love reading it. Uh, I think in the last halving cycle, everything went up because the United States air, uh, United States government airdropped jupe. And that that was the reason, right? We're not going to airdrop dollars anymore. We're not going to print stimulus. We're just going to airdrop uh, crypto coins on Solana in the future. Yeah. Pump the market. <laughs> there we go. I, I'm, I'm curious to see what's going to happen with Solana today, to be quite honest. I think uh, we're going to see a hell of a lot more of these sort of, uh, I don't know what to call it, uh, these techniques 
to uh, increase liquidity. Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. You know, I think that most people are going to sell off their uh, massive free money that they just got, and then it probably goes way higher in like five or six days. That's usually. I think arbitrum and optimism are far more interesting. There, if you look at the TVL growth, um, it looks way more compelling than it does in, in Solano, in my view. Well, it's next time you're on, we're, next time you're on, we're going to talk about it and dig deeper. Got to run. Thank you, guys. Everybody, you can follow uh, James right down below in the description. And obviously, as he mentioned, the CoinShares blog is really great. I showed you about three things from it today, but uh, really incredible research if you want to stay on top of what's actually happening in this market. So, thank you, James, for that. Uh, all your thank research, you. writing, and and for coming on. Thanks, James. All right, guys, uh, James Butterfield, always a pleasure to have him on. He's on Spaces with us all the time, too. Uh, it's nice when you have someone who can actually show you, you know, some data and research behind their ideas as opposed to uh, Trust Me Bro, which I think has been the uh, consistent uh, way that we get information in crypto. And now, obviously, it's time to talk about the charts and to see what we could, could not, maybe, maybe not, might, could want to trade on a day like this man, I was all excited yesterday. Bitcoin was up above the daily 50 MA. Then I saw bearish divergence on the four hour chart. You know, five waves up, three waves pull back, five waves again. That is what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, we got the pullback. I've been saying that if we drop below, you know, um, below kind of this daily pivot that our and that we would probably drop below the range low, and the initial target would be that daily S1 pivot. Um, and so that's basically where we bounced there. So um, we bounced in. We had a nice pin bar there on that support. It was also the EQ here of that large range that we've had since that bear market low. Um, and then, uh, you know, again, we had all this, um, uh, as I put here, volume dropped off on the breakdown below range support. Price found support on the daily S1 pivot. No follow through lower indicates that the market's not interested in selling off. Hence, we got an impulsive break out back into the range and then need to break out above the daily pivot. And I said that back when we were down here, uh, we got the nice big candle. We had some volume come in on that, which we'll want to see on a breakout, came back, retested, rally up. Now we just pulled back to the range EQ. So, I mean, to me, it looks like, um, again, this is three waves down. It looks like to me a WXY. And so I think we're heading up there toward that 56, 57,000 to get this uh, wave five of three that I still have. There are other counts um, that I've said before. Um, people have like a one, two, three, four, five here. And then this is two as a flat. Eh, possible, but until this one, two, one, two uh, doesn't, you know, doesn't keep working, I'm just going to keep following that. Um, by the way, if it is this other one, this one, two here, the wave, the wave three target would be like around 70, 74, 76,000, somewhere up there, minimum expected. So yeah, I mean, uh, you know, everybody freaking out. Bitcoin moves like, you know, 5%, and all of a sudden everybody's like, oh, my God, it's the end of the world. Chicken Little running around with the head cut off. It's kind of crazy, right? Fun to watch, though. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but yeah, so I, th I think it still looks good. I think we're still looking good. Um, let me see here. If we zoom out to you, see the three days just now. Stoke RSI is just now breaking out. RSI finding support on, on the EQ there. Uh, and then if we jump to the weekly, you can see the weekly is now resetting down into oversold on the Stoke RSI there. Most telling for me, everything else aside, I, I keep talking about this. I don't know how many people are paying attention. Came in sideways between the R1 and the pivot. If we pull back lower down here, I expect the pivot to hold. If it holds, 
and price starts rallying back up, we get the breakout above the swing high here, you're going to see us rallying at least through the R5. I've said that multiple times. I'll continue to say that. It's just a specific way that price action tends to work out with pivots. So um, you can just kind of, if, if you're doing the longer term hold thing, you can just kind of forget all the other little daily movements anyway you should be. Get off the 15-minute charts, guys. If you're going to tell me you're holding for, for the next year or so, and then you talk about a 15-minute chart, I'm going to throw <laughs> something at you, seriously. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think, you know, I think we're good. I honestly do. Uh, there's a, you know, I think so too. That, yeah, we flipped yeah. that support resistance area there. So, uh, yeah, I just, I what I was good. just mentioning before, yeah, we, this is the daily 50 MA. So I would, I mean, listen, this candle, literally, if it goes up two or $300, we're going to be talking about it, holding the 50 MA as support as opposed to losing it. So, uh, right yeah. now it's just a test. And then, you know, it always does make me cautious, at least temporarily. We had the bullish divergence at 38,600. With oversold RSI, now we have overbought RSI and bearish divergence, but right back down. I mean, this one thousand dollar retrace gave us a full, you know, fifty percent reset on RSI, and we're yeah. about to print hidden bullish divergence if we get any kind of elbow up here. So less concerned to me. This just says, I don't know if you agree, but when you see it like this and price doesn't move that hard, it might just be a signal that we're going to be chopping sideways, and uh, people are going to be very annoyed. Yeah, there's a good chance of that. Um, I, I, I mean, don't know on, the low on the low time frame. I'm certainly I'm oh, not talking about yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Pro probably on a low time frame. If that worst case scenario, um, I, I, I just, I, I think the bottom's in there. I think that is. Oh, I think the bottom's in for sure. We're good personally. there. So, I think we're just looking for reasons to go long, right? Which is, well, it shouldn't break yeah. down. Long. <laughs> that's right. You got Solana um, there. I can see it, and that's going to be the narrative today. I don't know if yeah, are you you're a boomer like me and probably don't know about airdrops and stuff. What you talking about, boomer? My dad's a boomer. I'm Gen X, man. What you talking about? But I mean, like crypto <laughs> boomer. Are you are you farming? Are you farming jupe? There it is, or whatever they call this thing. <laughs> I am. Uh, I'm not farming much of anything, man. Hey, um, but yeah, no. This that same chart that I've been you know bringing up here since uh, whatever this was is 2022. Um, when I was talking about the low likely being a good place to buy there, just been putting this together. Um, this chart I posted on, on on my Twitter, if anybody's following on that, a comparison of price action between Sol and um, and Bitcoin. And it's basically the same thing here um, that we're seeing. I mean, you can overlay it. You got the same multi-month kind of sideways uh, pullback and, and rally back up. Uh, we did the same thing here. You know, we broke out, never came back and retested. Oh, excuse me, hiccups here. Um Never actually retested uh, that big range. Uh, kind of the same thing, you know, that, that we have on uh, on Bitcoin here. And so, you know, there we go. We're just kind of doing some sideways. And uh, we broke out here of this descending wedge. It looks like it's three waves to me. Um, and so I'm looking for wave five, five of three here up there around 170. So um, there we go. I want, yeah. Yeah. I want to see a break, uh, breakout here above what is this? 107.32. If we can do that, that's going to add confidence to my count. That's my uh, second wave pullback there. And so, um, yeah, if we can pop, we're almost there. We're almost there with this. Uh, it was just shy, about a dollar shy. So if we can get a pop out above that, I think we should be good to go up there. And, uh, you know, uh, people can keep being upset about Solana and whatever. And, you know, yeah, everybody's got their narrative. They didn't get in. So, yeah. oh, it's the institutional stuff. And they're, they're VCs. scamming us. VCs. Yeah, they did it. Yeah, they no. got us. Yeah, this was how I was looking at it like uh, last week. And I, I bought here literally on the show. I was trying to buy more in this range, but kind of like yeah. below this little demand is where I would put a stop. 
you know, mm-hmm. let me call it like this. And these are my two targets, right? Back to 126. And you're a little more, I guess, bullish and 150. That That's short term. Those are my two like trade targets on this. I don't oh, see yeah, the yeah. sort of change that. Uh, and, I, and I have a you know long-term bag. I would hold 25 to 30% of this all the way if we get past that. Oh, yeah. And, and for anybody watching, you know, if you've got a um, like like a wedge breakout like that, quick, easy targets always beginning of the wedge, the stop area yeah. up here. I mean, yeah, you're you're all but guaranteed, you know, as long as that wedge is legit, you're all but guaranteed to at least get there and you'll probably break out higher. But I mean, it takes no exactly. thought process at all whatsoever. To get the break of the wedge. 80 to, to I mean, it's a, it's a 50 percent move, right? You're yeah, about 80 yeah. bucks to 125. It's a that's to me, that's a, a really, really good trade. Not like back in the day when you told me to take profit at three percent every time. Yeah, you got you got to learn somewhere, right? Got to get used to it somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I think absolutely. Solana, I, I think Solana continues to look good. Um, I, I think we're just getting kind of going with that again. It really is mimicking uh, Bitcoin really well through this whole kind of rally. Uh, I've got OP here. Uh, I know everybody's hot for this for a while, and then they kind of shut up. And uh, here we go now again, right? So uh, I think. You know, we've got this 38.2 pullback. I think this looks like uh, we may be done here. Um, I'm on a breakout here above, what is this? $3.67 or so. If we can do that. It's going to add confidence to my count here. And I've got a wave five of one of this larger one, two, three, uh, right there at $5.82. So right now we're about $3. It's almost 100% move uh, from where we're currently sitting. I think we pull back a little bit more here. Um, and then uh, look for that breakout. So, I mean, if you want to get in sooner, the, the earliest I'd probably get in sooner, unless you're really good at trading, you understand how to get in, uh, would be looking for a breakout back above um, this uh, this pivot area right here. What is that, around $3.17? That would be the earliest. Definitely want the breakout above $3.67. But, you know, again, $5.82 target, and then a pullback, and then off to the races for that big wave three as we start getting into probably more of the blow off top kind of yeah, thing. I haven't been watching OP, but I need to, it's literally been on my, like, you should watch this list. And then I forget, but the, you, know, <laughs> you need a list that says, Hey, you need to be watching your, you should watch this list. Yeah. Well, I just need to go like set some alarms. So, you know, it's what I usually do. I like at least go look at the chart, figure out an area I'm interested in and then move on with my life until it hits. But <laughs> it's funny. I'm, I'm looking at my OP chart. And if I had set an alarm last time, <laughs> someone asked me to look at it, I would have caught the dead ass bottom. <laughs> that would have been a nice uh, rally up man yeah nice uh that would have been 89 cents 90 cents so yeah that would have been a nice place for me to have gone ahead and set an alarm for a tap of that zone and uh i moved on with my life and didn't so there you go you moved on with your life anyway <laughs> I, i'm still um, still moving on at this very moment so we'll live. <laughs> finally we've got link here uh again another one that i was uh you know i'm still excited about uh you know again that's the one that we were doing the sideways here and i was talking for the longest time uh, about how this was looking like accumulation, how we would get a dip here, four and a half, five dollars would be where you'd want to buy. And, uh, you know, we did the rally back up. It looks like three and four may be done here. Looks like we got a one, two. So if we can break out higher here, wave five locally here should have a target of around $25.18. Um, if we do, if we do get a rejection at that area, let me see here. I have 27. Yeah, so like, yeah, you could overextend up there a bit yeah. more. I'm yeah, I mean, just that area, that. that area, but that it's an area if I really look yeah. at it. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that, that would get you back here probably, you know, $11 or so. If you can do 27, 
they'd probably get us back here closer to about 11 and a half almost. Um, so, yeah, you know, if we can get this breakout here, that's kind of where I'm looking with that. And then, like I said, you get a little bit of a move up, and then you get your pullback, and then once again you get in that wave three. But that's just local here. You know, we've got this big one-two that we're actually in here. So I've got this, uh, yeah, big the macro one-two. consolidation. That the consolidation is a bit, the, the consolidation itself is a bit strange. I was looking at sort of as maybe it was forming a diamond, but I don't think so. Yeah, no, it doesn't look like it looks like we just get this a uh, bit of a deviation out and deviation yeah. back to the bottom, kind of like what Bitcoin just did, really. You got the higher yeah. high and then the higher high and then the lower low. Same yeah. thing we got Bitcoin here, higher high, higher high, higher low, yeah. or lower low, I'm sorry, and then um, looking for that move out. So it looks to me, like a lot of these uh, major, uh, you know, and, and the ones that have a lot of attention on them, these alts are probably, uh, you know, if Bitcoin's rallying, if they're probably going to rally up with it, it looks like they're all kind of doing the whole same fourth wave pullback thing right now. Yeah. So. The only reason I was looking at Link, like, so I think Link, you just traded above this this zone right here, right? Such an obvious uh, resistance, you know, if yeah. you break above 18 bucks. But like my eye does get drawn to this. And like I said, it's not really a thing, but, you know. Whenever I see that kind of high wick and the low wick after it, I just start to think, you know, diamond. But uh, whatever, I, I, I doubt it'll actually happen. You know, for anyone watching, it's pretty close. Like that. But we'll see. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter until it happens. So it's literally that's right. That's right. Unless, that's the, right. unless the other side of it forms. But yeah, just just kind of watching that. All right, man. I told Chris today that I had to end a little bit early. I got a personal commitment. I need to be somewhere in twenty five minutes. So. Today is a bit shorter. You can follow Chris TX West Capital, of course, as always. Um, and I got to run. So, guys, thank you so much. I appreciate uh, you guys showing up. Great guests. As usual, we will be back tomorrow. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, everybody. Awesome. Peace, guys. That's dope.